Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, we'll go back in time, the seasons past, when 22 men graced the market fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats, history and its memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network, in conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live. From the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia. Now you can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, the senior contributing writer to Good Iron Grace Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larkin. Yep, yep. He hails from Portland, Oregon. This is Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show. Let's see. Oh, good to be here, Bob. For as many years as we've been doing the show, I still find myself humming and whistling along to the theme song. You know, when uh, when you're when you're bringing it up, I love it. It's a catchy football tune to get everyone in the mood to talk about. Ball cards, what is football that? Football in football history. It's a uh, Notre what Dame uh, March song. Oh, wait a, what oh, is this? I I've got it memorized by now. And I'm whistling, and I'm tapping my feet, and it's it's, just, it's it's fun. It's great. It's one of the most classic football marching songs there is by Notre Dame University. It's an amazing it. song. Well, we're back with another show. We've got a special guest, very special guest coming up soon. But before we get into that and our special guests, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, another step in our series of looking at older football card sets. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the 1950 Bowman set. We talked about the 48 Bowman set a while ago. And mm-hmm. as we know, there, there was no set of football cards produced by Bowman in 1949. There was a baseball set. We've speculated over the years why they never produced the 1949 Bowman football set. 
We will never know the, the true reasoning behind it. But 1950 was a transitional year for a lot of different things in football because the AAFC yep. uh, basically disbanded and three teams were uh, sent into the NFL. And the 50 Bowman set came back and was out. There was a issue by Tops, which is basically a 1949-50 issue of felt-back cards, but they weren't professional. They were, they were college players. So 1950 Bowman was the only set out there that actually looked at professional players. And, Joe, I'm going to hand off to you because you have, and we've talked about this on the show over the years, some incredible uncut sheets of that set. Yep. Yeah, absolutely love it. And, and everybody, if you're a listener to the show, you know that I absolutely love uncut sheets. And uh, one of the prides of my set is uh, I have all four uncut sheets that comprise the 144 cards that go into the 1950 Bowman set. Uh, I, I love the Bowmans. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, it's 48. 50, 51, 52, 53, 45. I mean, it was a very short glimpse in all of the Bowmans I love. I, th- I think all of them have a special place in my heart. I mean, 53s are probably my favorite. I just love the coloring on it. But 52s are amazing. 51s, I think, have great layouts. I mean, just all of them. I mean, but it, it's kind of like children. You can't really have a favorite. And I know the captain has never come across a football set he doesn't love. So it's hard for him to break it down either, but I mean, it, it's kind of funny during the preamble of the show, I'm like, I love the Bowmans, Philadelphia, you know, the Phillies, you know, the you know, 66, I'm like, man, I love the Phillies. The Fleers are really good, too, the 61 Fleers set, really, and next thing you know, I'm like, yeah, Tops are pretty good, too. Damn it, I love all football. It's just what it boils down to. They're all good looking. But The, the, 50, you know, the 50 Bowman to me was so unique because you went from a black and white set in 1948. Yep. Yeah to the 1950 color set, and it was just, just so much more lively. And it was still, we're still not at a point yet of a real size football card as we know today. So it's still that small, small card. And, uh, you know, it's an amazing set. And, again, that's a set that's just chock full of Hall of Famers, stars, rookies, and anything you want to look at, you, you really got it in that particular set. And realistically, I look back, that, as much as it was difficult to collect for me, and again, I put that together back in the 80s, it still was relatively, you know, with a lot of searching back then, I was able to put that set together pretty easily, in my opinion, compared to other 1950 sets and and, uh, other Bowman sets that I put together over the years. Yeah, couldn't agree more. At one point, uh, you know, I was trying to put together every set, and 50 Bowman was one of the easiest to put together. I, I remember the number 100, the Sammy Baugh, was my last card to complete, and it was just that one was a tough one. But um, as you mentioned, 48, you know, 1948, Bowman went head-to-head with Leaf. Uh, there's no comparison, a nice color Leaf card versus a black and white. Uh, you know, Bowman took a year off and came back, Full force, Leaf goes out of business in 1949 after the uh, skip-numbered 49 Leaf set that was basically a recreation of the 48. Off they go. They go head-to-head with a young Tops company, which really didn't put forth much of an effort in 1950. I mean, 
but that I've heard them referred to as barely a square, you know, a little bit short of a square, but uh, they were two and a sixteenth inch by two and a half, so just a little bit shy of a square. Forty-eight and fifty both followed that same, you know, uh, same size before fifty-one uh, moved into you know the you know the standard card set. But uh, you know, forty-eight Bowman was uh, you know was a smaller set. It was one hundred eight cards, three sheets, thirty-six cards per sheet, four rows, nine columns, uh, and fifty Bowman followed that same layout except they added 36 cards, uh, a, a Series D sheet. So 144 cards, 36 cards a sheet times four sheets. Um, and uh, it's it, great, I mean, just packed full of rookie cards. Autogram, uh, you know, AFC, I mean, and it's great because 48 Leaf was, you know, some college, some NFL, uh, you know, but no AAFC. And then you get into 50 Bowman, it's right after the merger of AFC and uh, the NFL into 13 teams. And 144 divided by 13 teams, you, you start to see a really good representation of each team. You know, that's 10, exactly. 10 cards per team on average. Yep. Which is really good, you know, considering, you know, a lot of guys played ball both ways. So you, you got really, really good representation of teams. Uh the Browns, 49ers, and the then Baltimore Colts, you know, representing the AAFC, and then the, the 10 NFL teams. Um, Otto Graham, Crazy Legs, Elroy Hirsch, one of my favorite cards. I just love that. Um, you know, uh, some really, really cool designs. I mean, you've got Tank Younger, you know, who's uh, you know very popular player, you know, doing the Heisman pose with the American flag running in the background, you know, uh, Lou the toe, you know, you know, you've get, it, it's it's got so many Hall of Famers in it. It's just it, it's such a colorful, cool, chock full of talent set. Um, you and, know, when it, as when silly you as it sounds, when you think about vintage sets, and you know, I've talked about this privately with a lot of collectors over the years. I I can get excited. I can get excited to a certain degree with the 48-49 Leafs. But really, uh-huh. with Bowman, you can get very excited looking at collecting the 1950 set, even if you just put your, your team together, a team set from your favorite team or whatever. But you can, get, you can really appreciate, especially now, 72 years later, the true vintage nature of the set. And, you know, we could say it, it, it's almost primitive printing that we're looking at, but it's held time and time over again. It's held up in 72 years. So you do see uh, nice cards out there. And, again, when I put my set together, uh, I will go out on a limb and say, I did see a bunch of X near mint cards over the years. Um, you know, I, don't, I never considered really one of those early cards to be just near mint, but I always said I saw a lot of better condition 1950 Bowman cards and Bowman in general than I, than I ever did in the 48 or 49 Leafs, if you, can, if you can follow that. So, again, that's the beginning exactly. of a very, very strong vintage period, the beginning of the 1950s, classic 10-year period for football cards, uh, evolution totally. of football cards, and, and it really – you know, it truly began. It didn't begin with the fallbacks. It, it 
began with the the fifty Bowman set, to say the least. Yeah. So. Uh, I wonder why that is. It's a great. Is. The Bowmans came in nickel packs with six cards a pack, so maybe they're protected a little bit better. In nickel packs. Well, that's what I. I, I wonder. I kind of think. I kind of think their their stock that they used to print them on was better than the leaf stock. Number one, and number two, yeah, I think you're correct in saying if you got six cards together in a pack, they're holding firmer. And if they, you know, they were the classic wax packs, they were sealed properly. No air got into them, so on and so forth. So yeah. they, I think they held the, the the test of time for a long, you know, much better than other card sets. And um, as such, you know, they're still in. You, you can still find them in the market. You can still put the set together. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a it's a nice set. It's a classic set. Truly classic. Yeah. You can pick up a PSA 8 common 1950 Bowman card, as you mentioned, a 72-year-old card, and PSA 8, you know, near mint. You can pick up a common for 50 you know, $70. You know, the right. you know the Elroy, you're going to get the big, you know, the big Hall of Famers. The autogram probably is being the most expensive. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. a PSA 9 autogram is going to cost you $25,000 or $30,000. Uh, it used to be, you know, five to five to 7000 but... You know, the rest of them, you can build this set pretty cheaply, uh, which is surprising because yep. if you bought a nickel pack of 1950 Bowman and you ripped that, you know, at, at a national dinner in front of all your friends and you got one PSA 8 out of it, everybody, everybody high-fiving. Or you could just go buy a PSA 8. It's just it's kind of funny. Uh, but the 48 Leafs, yep. they come in, you know, penny packs. Uh, you know, so, I mean, much harder condition-wise on those, I would imagine, but... Bowman had right. just an amazing had, run. If you think about it, they they ruled it from fifty to you know fifty five, and then they just got bumped, as we've talked about, by Tops All American trying to get right back into the market. Yep. And then the one thing I, I also will compare the forty eight Bowman to the fifty Bowman. The forty eight Bowman was a very drab, black and white set. Um, it didn't yep. age well, in my opinion, over the years. You know, there's a lot of uh, toning on the cards. Uh, the divisible by three cards, the short prints were always, yep. always brutal to try to find. Uh, that was a tough set for me to put together, and I, that took me quite a while because I was, I was short on several of <laughs> the short prints uh, through the 90s until I, you know, I just happened upon them and I, and I finished my set. And my 48 Bowman set, no way, shape, or form, grades any better than a VG uh, with a handful of X cards and, and mostly uh, fair, good VG condition especially for the yep. uh divisible by three cards those short the short prints yep. but uh yeah. my, my 50 set like i said it, it's a it's a nice set it, it presents well it yep. looks, looks nice and it's just amazing what those two difference in two years did as far as uh, as far as the sets are concerned yeah and as amazing. you mentioned 48 bowmen are headshots they're headshots with the player looking straight away into the camera the uh, 50 bowmen they mixed it up you know it's close-ups yep. of every player is kick, kicking, catching, running, uh, you know, you, you know, Heisman posing, et cetera. Uh, a lot more action. Uh, and the, add, add the color. And just, and it's cool. There's, you know, American flags sprinkled in there. Uh, as silly as it sounds, it's, a, there's really amazing detail. Uh, there's a, yeah. there's a card, I forget what one it is, but 
the person's running, and you can literally see that the artist, you know, put in tufts of turf coming off the person's shoe as they're cutting the corner. And I, I forget the player, but I, was, I have sat there enamored looking at this card when I got it. I'm like, the detail, you know, on the cards are amazing. You can see grass flying off their foot, off their cleat as they're running yep. in his car. I, I think the That's, player starts with a it, Z. I forget. I'd have to go back, but... Yeah, it was definitely, a lot of, a lot of good. definitely, definitely well prepared, well drawn out, set, well thought out set. Much better than the forty-eight Bowman. And and the set has a very special place in my heart, simply because I have the set, but I also have the set very prominently displayed in frames of uncut sheets behind me. It's one of the one of my most proud uncut sheets, just to have an entire set all four, you know, series, you know, A, B, C, D, you know, of, of I have no other, no other sheets that are like that. I have, you know, up, you know, modern, you know, right. some modern ones, but I love that. It, it took me six or seven years to assemble that, right? By one here, one there, I was piecing it together and it was just, yep. it was, it, it it's, was a, a, it's a triumph. It's an incredible, Incredible set, and you have a you know have an incredible collection there of those four uncut sheets, few and far between. Probably probably you and maybe one other person has it, and that's a it's amazing, <laughs> truly amazing. Yeah. Well, our our special guest is here, and I don't want to um, keep him waiting. And I'd like to introduce him to our audience tonight. Uh, he's well known to our audience and readers of Gridiron Greats magazine. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a lifelong fan, historian of the San Francisco 49ers, author of numerous yep. books on the 49ers, and he's personal friend to the king, the late, great Hugh McElhaney. He hails from San Francisco. <laughs> and I welcome our good friend, Martin Jacobs, to the show. Martin. Welcome Hello, Bob. Show. Hello, Joe. How are you? Good. We're good. good. Thank you for coming. Wish it was under better circumstances, Martin. Yeah, I'm still grieving over the loss of, of the king. It just it was like losing a second father to me, you know, because I've been uh, uh, close with McElhaney since I was nine years old, and I'm 79 now. Yeah. So when I heard that news, it was just like a shock, you know, a shock wave went through me. Uh, it was just really terrible, but um, I have a lot of things to remember him by, a lot of memories and a lot of memorabilia, but just losing the king was just uh, uh, just, just terrible, just terrible for me. But I'm doing okay now. You know, I'm doing okay. Nobody seems to understand how how uh, your hero can cause you such grief, but, you know, McElhaney meant a lot to me, and he inspired me all through my life. But uh, I well, uh, go ahead. Bob. He was a very imp- a very important person to you, Martin, and uh, you know, yep. I, I, I don't think anybody in the football world takes that lightly. You know, my, when Bart Starr died, you know, I never got an opportunity. I always wanted, to, I had this fantasy I was going to meet him somehow at a autograph signing or whatever, and never panned out. And uh, it's like my uh, balloon got popped when. Uh, when the star died, so I feel for you. I, I understand. Yeah, you know, what, what the fans don't understand is that um, McElhaney was a special runner. 
on the field and yep. and I I can't get over the point to people how unselfish she was as a runner and they and they don't yeah. understand that they you know because today they 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 hit the line the backs and and it's it's off to the race as fast as you can go McElhaney was a little bit different and what made him different is that he used his blockers and it wasn't that that he was afraid to get hit and anything like that it was just that he felt when he got in the open field and he had blockers, he would slow down and change pace just to wait for, like, Bob St. Clair, a big tackle, or Leo Namalini when he was playing tackle, to come downfield and he'd slow up so they could take out the defender and then he would run towards the end zone. And, and one particular memory I have, which dates back to 1955, we were playing the Cleveland Browns, and McElhaney broke loose on a 75-yard run. Now, he had clear sailing all the way to the end zone running down the sidelines. He got down to about the 10-yard line, and two Rams had an angle on him. And what McElhaney did is he slowed up just almost to a standstill, waited for two blockers to come over, take out the two Browns, and walk into the end zone. Now, who does that? You know, <laughs> It, 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 he and so he captured he captured my attention and and uh, uh, I became a McElhaney fan when I was nine years old. And if you'd like, I could tell you a story how how I met McElhaney. Would you Would you like to hear that? Sure. Yeah. Well, what happened is when I was yeah. Not, yeah. I was nine years old at Kizar. And uh, my dad said, and I didn't know a difference between a lateral and a forward pass at that time. And my dad said, look look through my binoculars at number 39. He, he's a rookie. It's his first year. So I looked through the binoculars, and I saw McElhaney the first time he carried the ball against the Cardinals. It was a preseason game. And he ran 44 yards for a touchdown. And the way he zigged and zagged around the field and, and changed pace and straight arm, brought a high stepping and shoulder fakes the whole bit well i got hooked just from watching McElhaney then and so uh what happened is um uh during the season after the last game of the season against the baltimore colts i went into the kizar stadium parking lot and that's where the 49er locker rooms were now McElhaney came out and at that time, McElhaney had these Hollywood looks. He looked like a movie star. People compared him to Charles Bronson, some to Patrick Swayze now. But anyway, he had long black hair, and he was really handsome. So all the girls who went to the game, there were women too, and, and young girls, and they would stand in line to get his autograph. Well, I stood in line to get his autograph, and I happened to be the last one in line. So I got to McElhaney, and he was sitting in his pink Cadillac, and I went to give him my program to sign, and he said, see you next year, kid, and he drove off. Well, I was so disappointed. I, I mean, my heart was broken, you know, because I collected news clippings and everything, and I go, wow, that really hurt. But the following season, 19, this, see, this is 1955, after the final preseason game against the Cleveland Browns, they changed uniforms for the season because the ones they used in the preseason were from the year before. So again, I'm in the parking lot of Kizar. I stand in line. I get to McElhaney. 
And Mac and I said the first thing to McElhaney, sitting in his car, I said, remember me? You're the one who told, see you next year, kid. He said, sure, I remember you. He took my program and he signed it, uh, best wishes, Hugh McElhaney. Well, I was thrilled. And just when I was going to walk away, McElhaney said to me, he said, hey, kid, would you like my jersey? And I said, sure, I would. And he took out of a little duffel bag his jersey rolled up that he that he used. He says he said to me he was on his way to the boys club to give it to them for a raffle. So I I I got the jersey and and that was my first collectible from McElhaney. And I've had it all these years. Now how I got to meet McElhaney personally, I was at a um, collector show in San Francisco, a card show. He was signing autographs, and I brought the shirt that he gave oh. me from 1955. Now, this is 1980, and I, I gave him the shirt, and he signed it, and he, the first thing he said, where the hell did you get this? He didn't even remember giving it to me. So 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 I gave it to Macaulay. He signed it, and then I said, out of the blue, Macaulay, could I get your phone number so I could call you sometime? Well, I don't think he was going to give it to me, but his wife, Peggy, was sitting with him. And she says, why don't you give it to him? You, he's a big fan of yours. And you gave him that shirt. So so I got his phone number. And since about 1980, we have been corresponding, oh, I'd say every couple of weeks by telephone. And uh, I followed him around. He ended up living in Henderson, Nevada. And... Uh, I, he became, and, and during that period, I collected everything of McElhaney uh, from the time that I saw him through the binoculars. I have, um, I have his college all-star game jersey, his East-West game jersey, his 49er jersey, Vikings jersey, um, his Jack 59 jacket. I have two capes that he wore from 59 and 54. Uh, I have a, a signed helmet by him. I have every program that he played in from college. I have most of his high school games, but I have all his college, all his pro games, hula bowl, pro bowls. Um, I have every card that was produced by McElhaney and signed by McElhaney. So, <laughs> so I, I'm really a fanatic wow. for Hugh McElhaney, and people don't understand that. Um, and I always try to keep his spirit alive. If I can ever talk about running backs or uh, and comparing players, I always bring up McElhaney. Because uh, at one time I coached uh, Pop Warner football, and I taught my running backs just like how McElhaney ran with a straight arm and lifting the knees up. And, 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 uh, and uh, what a lot of people don't know is McElhaney was a ballet. He took ballet classes in school. And that's why he had great, uh, not only great vision, but great balance. And I always said if he was behind a Rams line or or uh, uh, Cleveland Browns or something, because the 49ers never won a championship in the 50s with him. The closest they got was in 57. But it wasn't McElhaney's fault. We just didn't have a, a, a very good defense, but we could score a lot of points. But uh, that's that's how I met McElhaney, and that's been a long, lifelong uh, relationship. And I'm gonna miss the guy. I mean, it's just really hard on me losing losing Mac. You know, and he not only that, he was very modest. When I talked to him on the telephone, and any time I would give him a compliment, he'd laugh it off. 
He, oh, that's nothing. You know, that was nothing. He, he just uh, didn't take. He played hard. He played hard, and he got a lot of bruises, and and he told me a lot of stories through the years. But uh, the guy's got no ego. He just just did a job, played well, and. In fact, when they drafted Macalini, they he had a reputation of being a problem kid, but uh, <laughs> because he didn't like to practice, he came late to practice. He he. Uh, but when he got to the 49ers, the funny thing is, when he got to the Niners, he said he didn't like to block. He had a reputation he didn't like to block, so he didn't block for the Niners at first. So the 49ers got together and they said, well, we're not going to block for McElhaney. So when McElhaney <laughs> ran a few times and got dumped, he, he said, why aren't you blocking for me? He said, well, you're not blocking for, for, for us. So all of a sudden McElhaney became a good blocker, but uh, he came with, a little, came with a little attitude when he got to the 49ers because he was, uh, <laughs> he was a big star up at the university of Washington. And uh, he said he made more money playing college ball than he ever made for the 49ers. He signed with the Niners for 7000 and he, he, he asked for 30 and they told him to go have another cup of coffee. So he took the seven. <laughs> but he was getting paid paid a lot, a lot of money uh, uh, up at University of Washington. So, um, <laughs> like I said, McElhaney is one of a kind. He's a real special guy, real humble, real humble. Uh. Yeah. Well, Mark, just seriously, you're you're rattling this off, and the only thing that comes to mind is just we are not worthy. I mean, just hearing you tell stories, of, you know, about the king, just we're not worthy. You know, just you know, just you got you you got close to a you know to your hero, your your favorite player. Um, yeah. My heart, my heart My my heart breaks for you when I heard this news. I immediately. You know, last time we had the on the show, you were, you know, you just written your book, The King. I went on and bought a copy of it, um, you know, that you inscribed for me, and it was a, a great read. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a Steve Largent fan, but hearing what hearing you talk about this stuff, it's just, it pales in comparison. I'm a fan. You are a super fan, and just I'm more you know, a just, fanatic. I, 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 yeah. I, I would say, I, I would say. Um, you know, when I won Fan of the Year in 1919, uh, 2000, year 2000, as the number one 49er fan, it was a it was a contest by Visa International for the top fan uh, of the NFL uh, for for uh, uh, your your favorite team. Well, when I submitted my resume for the uh, uh, for the fan, I I knew at that time. I don't think there was another person in this country that was as close to a player and and Not idolized even. the player and collected Not with even. the player. And uh and when I won it it didn't surprise me because um uh I put my my heart into the 49ers and it you know it hurt a lot of relationships I've had like with with my uh, I've been divorced a couple times and one wife said you loved Hugh McElhaney more than her, and the other one said you loved Joe Montana more than her. But I didn't argue the fact. <laughs> I loved him in a different way, but I never, I never denied it. You know, I, I, uh, I really cared a lot for for uh, McElhaney, just the way he carried himself and the way he. Uh, the funny thing about it, when in his rookie year, 1952. 
they, when they introduced the players onto the field at Kizar Stadium, <clears throat> they came out of a tunnel. McElhaney was the only guy who came out of the tunnel not wearing his helmet. He carried his helmet under his arm, and he's waving to all these cheering ladies and young girls. And I, at that time, I wasn't a McElhaney fan, and I was wondering, who is this guy? It's like the Lone Ranger with, with the guy with the mask. Who is this guy? Because he, he was like showing off, you know. But that was McElhaney, you know. He was, a, he was like a womanizer. The girls just were crazy. They just wanted to touch him. But I was a young kid then. I didn't know. I didn't really know McElhaney till till 1980 when we became friends and how humble he was. And football was just, it just wasn't what it was to me. You know, to him it was a job. To me it was my life. You know, I just love yeah. watching him play. So I've been a 49er fan all these years, and I still I still cheer for the Niners, but not like they're not the kind of players they had when. When back in the so, 1950s, that golden age was just yeah. So I want to dive down on how you became friends with them. I mean, and I, I, we've had you on before. We know I've read the book, but I mean, as I mentioned, I've I've collected Steve Larger for a long time. I've met him a few times. Never did I think like you know, hey, would you mind if I got your cell phone? I'd love exchanging stories with you. It's just, and it's so simple, but it worked. And this is back in I think you said 1980. There's no cell phone. It's you know, he gave you his house number. That's you know, right. Started calling it up. Yeah. So, I mean, that, how how did that simple like, hey, would you mind? I mean, because you got his attention when you slide him something that he'd never seen before, and he's like, where did you get this? You know, th- that's a story. He's curious about it. And I'm sure once you told him, you know, his his interest was peaked. But how did that go from where the hell did you get this to becoming a friend? Okay, okay. I, I have to credit my father. He told me where there's a where there's a will, there's a way. Okay, he always said you could anything is possible. Just go for it. And so uh, I remember when I played high school football, and I ran like McElhaney at the time. I got benched because the coach would call like an, a plunge up the middle, and I'd do an 88 loop and run around the corner. And I would tell him, "Well, <laughs> McElhaney could do it. I could do it." And I got benched for it. But the thing of it is, is that um, it was my dad who gave me. Uh, uh, and I and I give credit to my mother. She never made it easy for me. She made me research. And if I'd ask her what the weather was, she would tell me, well, call up the weatherman. So the same thing when I mentioned McElhaney to my dad. He says, well, why don't you ask, get his phone number? Why don't you call him? This and that. So uh, I, I took the initiative to, to do those things, and that's how I did it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I have five children, and they're all in business for themselves. And I told them the same thing. You know, I said you you got to take, have a little courage and go for it. And if if you if you lose, you fall down, you get up and try again. So I, I just had the nerve to ask McElhaney for his phone number, and and uh, at first he he was hesitant. He was thinking about it, but his wife said, "Give it to him." You know, he has your shirt, and he's your fan, and. And uh, uh, <laughs> that's how it happens. You know, you just got to take that extra step. And I've always been able to do it. God's blessed me that I've been able to. I had some other heroes like Muhammad Ali. I met Muhammad Ali. Uh, same thing. Um, I got through uh, uh, to get to Muhammad Ali. I went through some newspaper in L.A. And then I met his agent. We went to his house. And I met Ali. I had his robe and trunks. And uh, um, 
it just takes it just takes the will to go out and do it, you know. And that's how I met Macalini. It was probably the best the best thrill I've had in my life. And I can uh, write ten books on Macalini, you know, from all the stories he's given me. And yeah. uh, he's one tough guy. He was a tough guy. He was Irish. He was just a he 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 was also a. Uh, a uh, high school champion hurdler. Uh, he was good in other sports, a sprinter. But he said he couldn't be Joe Perry in a 50-yard dash. But he's very humble and honest <laughs> and just a great guy. Just uh, And his wife was very nice, too. He lost his wife two years ago, and he said he didn't know if he could uh, survive without uh, Peggy. And uh, he lasted about two or three years after Peggy. But like I said, a big blow to me when I heard I lost uh, the king. He'll always be the king in my eyes, like King. There was uh, Elvis Presley was the king in music. He was the king. Indeed, well, you, know, you you are the fan. My, you are the, the fanatic of fans for sure. Yeah, uh, a, fan, a definite fan of the king. You know, uh, I love the Forty ers I wish them the best and everything, but I'll never have the relationship like I had with McElhaney. You know, they played for the love of the game. Uh, yep. He loved the game. Now the players, you know, they, you know, there's so many, so many, uh, uh, not so much trades, but free agents. I don't know from year to year who's starting and who's not starting, and it's just a whole different. It, it's strictly business now. It's not like the old days. And thank God I grew yep. up in, in 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 the 50s and 60s and those years, you know, and it was a great time. Great time, Martin. It's- is there one one game that stands out for you that he played in that you'll always remember? Was there a, a play in a game, anything like that you could uh, yes, tell there's, one, there's one particular play and probably the history of the 49ers, which involved McElhaney. In 1957, we played the Detroit Lions in a playoff game. We led the Detroit Lions 31-7 to at halftime. Everybody was celebrating. We hit, we were gonna uh, go to the championship and play the Cleveland Browns. So the third quarter opened up. We're leading 31 to seven. McElhinney runs 77 yards. He gets down to the nine yard line, and he told me he just ran out of gas at that time because he he, was, he must have run 200 yards to run that 77. Okay, the 49ers ended up kicking a field goal, and I felt in my mind that. We should have scored that. McElhinney should have scored that touchdown because uh, the Detroit Lions can come, could still come back. But to have another touchdown lead might have put them out of reach. Well, they ended up winning by three points. So that by McElhinney not getting into the end zone and getting seven, instead of they kicked a field goal and got three, and they ended up losing the game. And I'll never forget that. And I and when I tell Hugh about it, he laughs about it. And uh, he just ran out of gas. He said, "I think he had Larry uh, was the last one to tackle him, and he went down at the nine. But he ran 77 yards. So uh, that the, uh, the play that sticks out of McElhinney has to be that one, the one that he didn't score. <laughs> the one that so, he didn't. Wow. Well, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I was very depressed you, you, that game because because we were thought we were going to the championship. In fact, at halftime, the 49ers printed up fifty thousand fifty five thousand tickets for the game, and uh, it never happened. 
I have one of those uh, anthem wow. tickets, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah oh, wow. Seriously, uh, we've, we, like I mentioned, we've had you on the show before, and you've talked about, you know, you know your days when you were, you know, uh, you know, selling, con- you know, uh, you know, selling concessions, selling food and drinks, you know, at at Kizar. Uh, but I mean, so you you've seen it since you were nine all the way up. You've seen right. Well, you know, when I so- when I sold at Kizar and when I was a vendor there, the reason I got the job there is that um, again I asked my father, and my father says, well. You know, he says you could always go work for them, and I said, "Well, I'm too. I can't play for them." He says, "Why don't you sell for them? Sell, sell their products and things." So I went there, and I started with the peanuts, popcorn, then I ended up with the hot dogs and the souvenirs, and I worked there for 13 years. But I can honestly say that I never missed one single 49er play because each because when I was selling, I kneeled down when they broke huddle, got up to the line, did their play. And 20 seconds smart. later, I'm selling again. That's, so that's very smart. That's cool. Yeah, so so I never missed a play. And then when I finished working for them, I opened up my my sports stores, the Sports Stop, and I sold 49er souvenirs for the next 30 years. And when I retired from that, I ended up doing writing books. I've done 12 books. Uh, a nine on uh, on sport on the forty ers actually, and then three on World War Two. I'm also a World War Two historian, but uh, so so the forty ers has been my life. I've able to always do something connected with the forty ers and that's since nine years old. So you could say it's a lifetime dream come true. But, uh, Incredible. You know, what? So, in, in your opinion, you've seen every play. You said you'd kneel down, you break huddles. What was yeah. the best team that was fielded during that era, that forty-six to sixty, when you were when you were doing that? Who was? Who, I, I missed the question on that one. In, in in your opinion, what was the best forty-nine-er team from that forty-six to sixty? Oh man, that, that's a tough one. But I'd have to say, well, the '57 team made it to the to the playoffs. Yep. But my favorite was the 1954 team because they had the million dollar backfield, and that was uh, yeah. Hugh McElhenney, Tittle, yep. Johnson, Perry. And when they played Perry. together, uh, God, you didn't know. Uh, each one was a threat to go for a touchdown. They had a great offense back there with White Dill yeah. and all those guys. So I would say I'd have to say if I had to eliminate to one be the nineteen fifty four forty nine er team. In fact they started off seven and zero, and then McElhaney got hurt, Tittle broke his jaw. Um oh. he had his uh, why Tittle broke his jaw, they had a special helmet made for him with a handle on it. Tittle used to say he hated that handle because linemen would grab the, grab the handle when they tackled him and he twisted his neck and he said he hated that. But McElhinney broke his shoulder. So the, it kinda didn't, it, the year ended up not too well, but when they were healthy, that was, that was the team. That was the 54-49ers. Now yeah. that's cool. Boy, Wyatt Tittle was a tough old bird, wasn't he? That, well, that they iconic dumped picture of him kneeling with blood coming out of his ears. Yeah, the 49ers dumped him, and then uh, the Giants picked him up, and he took him to three championship games. And uh, uh, see, the reason he got dumped, the 40, he got dumped by the Niners, is our offensive line just needed needed help, and they didn't give him give him the protection. 
But uh, he came back and played the 49ers, and he threw five touchdown passes against us. So Tittle still was 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 a real competitor when he went to New York, and then McElhinney oh, yeah. ended up in New York uh, with the Giants on a championship team. Forty Niners let him go too because Red. That was another downer in my life when Red Hickey came in. He changed the Forty Nine er offense to the shotgun offense and ran an offense that had three quarterbacks. And McElhinney uh, was let go. Joe Perry was let go, and Tittle got let go. So, um, and they still had playing days left, but that was a tough time when McElhinney left the 49ers, you know. Uh, yep, yep. But he said but he had his best year when he, went to Cle- when he went to Minnesota. I was going to ask about his Minnesota playing days. Um, I forget that he, he went there, expansion team, Van Brocklin was the coach. Did he ever tell you any stories about when he played with the Vikings? I'm just curious. Oh yeah, he had his best season ever with the forty uh, with uh, the Vikings, and concluding all the years with the Forty ers uh, he ended up with eight hundred over eight hundred yards rushing and, right. and many yeah. yards. Yeah, and, and he made the Pro Bowl, and uh, he was uh, the Vikings' leading rusher. He he had a great season, but like I said, Red Hickey came in here and just changed everything and sent McElhinney to the expansion draft, and Minnesota picked him up. But uh, the only thing I have of McElhinney is a few cards from the Vikings that he played, and I have a game jersey from uh, his 1961 season. Then he got traded to New York, and then he went to a championship game. (laughs) Yep, that's... uh, like I said, I could write a book, just just uh, another book, just on 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 uh, the stories that you told me and oh. stuff. But I can't overdo it, really. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> hearing you talk about King being traded to Minnesota, I mean, it's got to be tough. I mean, I think back to you know Bill Walsh talking about uh, you know the day that he traded Joe Montana and then later Jerry Rice. I mean, the greatest receiver in the history of the NFL, you know, probably one of the greatest quarterbacks gets released eventually. And, you know, you know, and Walsh was like, I, I love, you know, Joe Montana, but at some point Steve Young is better. It's just, it's yeah. interesting. And I'm so glad I never had to suffer, you know, the fate of seeing Steve Largent, you know, dress up for another team, you know, like a Jerry Rice or, you know, or Hugh, you know, McElhaney. It's just, that had to be a, a tough pill to swallow. You know, oh yeah, what, 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 yeah. When I mentioned it to Hugh, I I, I said, uh, uh, and he spoke very little bit about it. And I said, how did it feel going from San Francisco to Minnesota? He says, for Christ's sake, they didn't even give me a jock strap when I left the Forty ers <laughs> They just put me in an expansion draft. He was really upset about it, and I w- I was. Pretty well at at that time. I wasn't too personal with McElhinney because it wasn't until 1980. But uh, he was my hero, though. So I continued still buying the uh, Minnesota newspapers, um, keeping scrapbooks. I got scrapbooks of McElhinney's ticket stubs, everything dealing with McElhinney wherever he went. But uh, but when he left the 49ers, my my heart kind of was broken, you know. How, how old were you when that happened? Um, when when McElhinney left, I was 1960, so I was 20, 27. No, no, I was 17, okay. I think, yeah. 17, yeah. yeah. Okay, I was going to say, I thought you were still in, still in school there, but 
you know, what, you know, where is that jersey? Uh, you know, I, I know you said that, you know, he handed you the jersey. He was on his way to the Boys and Girls Club. You got autographed and, you know, later in 1980. That has to be, you know, the cornerstone of your collection. It where is, is that Bob, jersey? It is, Bob and Joe. That, but the the truth of it is I have all the jerseys hanging in the, in a closet. And, and each night that I go to bed, I'll either, uh, whatever time, I'll, I'll go take 10 minutes, maybe I'll browse programs or photos. I have about 500 photos. I'll, I'll open wow. up that closet, and, then, and all, the, all the jerseys got the plastic over it. And, and what I'll do is I'll just, just drum through them, look at McElhaney's shirt, or I'll look at one of the other 49ers shirts. I have about 60 49ers shirts from the 50s. But I'll look through McElhaney and Joe Perry and Tittle, and, and then I'll go off to bed. You know, it, it's just something that, that uh, it's a ritual that I kind of do each night, you know. It, it's a fanatic. That's what a fanatic does. I'm just a fanatic. And... Absolutely. <laughs> so that, that, that jersey that, you, you know, you got as a kid that you got autographed in 1980 is hanging in your closet. Yeah, it's just hanging, but with with that uh, plastic over it that the cleaners gives you, you know, it just protects it from the moths and stuff. But yeah, I just look at it, and all the all the shirts I have are autographed by Macalini. And every time I get something, he would go, "Where'd you get that?" <laughs> He's such a character. He was such a character, that guy. But so, you know, he he didn't put value in it. He says, "Hey, you got to be nuts to want my stuff." You know, I says, "No." I says, "I just collected. I admire you, Mac." We all, we almost get in an argument over it, you know. But he was my hero, you know. <laughs> and it's a long. It goes back Martin, way wrote, back. For this issue of uh, the summer issue of Gridiron Greats, you wrote about a pickup collection. Can you tell our audience about that? Oh yeah, that's uh, that was a great pickup. Um, I, I picked up his University of Washington uh, game jersey uh, that he wore in 1951. And uh, the thing of it is, I was going to buy that jersey years before from a collector named Gus Ladone, and Gus Ladone unfortunately passed away. And I was just going to send him a check for the jersey, and it disappeared. I heard it went to Gus Ladone's brother, and I lost track of his brother. And then for years, uh, I guess 17 years went by, that uh, I got a call from a Nick Coppola in Boston, who's, a, who's I think, affiliated with Gray Flannel Auctions. And he says, are you interested in McElhaney's Washington jersey? And I said, I sure am. And so I got the jersey, and I mailed it to Mac, and he signed it. And... Uh, Oh. It's hanging in the closet. <laughs> it's hanging in the closet. Unbelievable. Yeah, you, you knew you knew him a long time. Uh, you know, you got to know him personally. It reminds me of like you know Todd Tobias and Lance Allworth, where they just get together personally. It just did. Uh, did did Hugh ever give you anything from his personal collection? Did he did he collect memorabilia from his playing years that? You know, did he ever like this was very special to me? This was my you know you know whatever touchdown et cetera. I want you to have it. You're my super fan. Well, here here's the thing. Um, uh, before McElhaney passed away, uh, he he had still in his office his uh, MVP trophy, his Pro Bowl trophy, oh. Hula Bowl tro- trophies, and and awards from Sport Magazine. A lot of them were displayed in his office. 
And I was told by his daughter that if anything should ever happen to McElhaney, you would be the first one we'll contact uh, if you're interested in any, anything more of McElhaney. So um, I'm, I'm not waiting for the phone to ring because, you know, I, I wish McElhaney was still alive. But uh, there is more memorabilia out there of McElhaney, but there's a lot of special things. And the things that were special to him were the trophies and the uh, award certificate. He had one from George Hallis, Hallis saying that uh, he was the best player he ever saw run. Uh, so there's a chance I might pick up some more things. If they do come about, I'll make the decision then, you know, because I have so much as it is. I have a whole room full of memorabilia, a lot of it from McElhaney. But, Did he uh, ever give you anything personally? Like, you know, like, Martin, I want you to have this. This is special to me and you're special to me. Did he ever give you anything? Um, actually, um, no, except for autographs. He didn't. I, I didn't have to pay for autographs, and I have all the cards and fo- lots of photos. I remember a couple of my collector friends would say, "Now, why do you got to have McElhaney sign every photo that that you have?" I says, "I just like to." He has a beautiful signature. He had one of the nicest mm-hmm. signatures of all the all the players. Really nice. And uh, now the players, the way they sign, they they just scribble. I oh, just yeah. that just eats me up. I just. I just can't can't believe it that uh, when I see a signature with just a little couple of lines, you know the way they do it. it, it is, yes. I'm just glad that's, I grew up like when I, I did. It's like yeah. hieroglyphics trying to figure out the the player's name when they sign something. And I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I got a handful of uh, Packer signatures from the '60s and '70s, and you can read everybody's. Uh, Signature yep. perfectly. So you know yeah. those guys in the fifties, sixties, and the part of the seventies, they took pride in their totally. autographs. And today it's it's just yeah. it's pathetic to, to look it's, at some of this stuff. It's impossible. It's incredible. You know, I, uh, yeah. somebody gave me a, a San Francisco Giants baseball, and I and I I thought it was old Japanese or something. I <laughs> I couldn't make out one signature. Not one signature. Bob and wow. I have talked extensively wow. about the 2000 uh, playoff contender Tom Brady card, and on it is yeah. his signature. And you, it just, it, you can, if, if I didn't know that card, I wouldn't know that was his signature. It is tough. You know, yeah, not only that, I can imagine the forgeries that must be. That's that's why I'm just that's, happy that I'm not collecting the, the material today that they sell, even though they go for thousands of dollars, because I've been to China yep. and I've seen how they knock off stuff. You can't tell. I mean, they really do a good job. They sell like pro jerseys there in, in China for $20, and I with the sewn numbers and letters and, and NFL emblems, and here they go for two or $300, and I say, oh, wow. So I, I just uh, I wouldn't be happy collecting uh, today's material. Yeah, I don't blame it. I don't no. blame it. Martin, we got a, we got, we got about three minutes left. Um, one other point, or two other points, I want to I want to ask you: Do you have a favorite piece of memorabilia with the thousands of pieces you have? And can you give any advice to a beginning collector? Okay, the favorite piece has to be the 1955 jersey that I got from McElhaney. That has to be the top of the line. Uh, the second probably favorite piece is a, is an autographed football uh, that um, uh, when the 49ers made the playoffs in 57 before they lost to the Lions, uh, I have a football, an autographed football uh, that 
um, uh, has all the team, including McElhaney, and that's probably a favorite item. And, of course, one of the first items I got from McElhaney was a chin strap. Uh, when he walked off the field, I asked for his chin strap. And uh, uh, yep. that's kind of sentimental, you know, getting a free chin strap from the player. And as far as uh, uh, for uh, advice for a collector, I'd say it's like anything else. You Passion has to be number one. Uh, even if you, you, you collect, open a store or whatever, or a sport you play, you got to have passion. You just can't collect to collect because if you do that then it's, it's the value is not there the uh, uh i would just say you got to have the passion almost like the kind of passion i had for macalini and if you want to be successful um because if you have the passion you'll do your research you'll care about it and and that's my advice for anybody starting to collect Absolutely. if it's any yeah, if it's any particular item, <clears throat> each item is different. You have to go to different avenues for different items, but it starts with the passion, strictly. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Martin, this has been an, an incredible look back, uh, your living history of you, of the 49ers. Uh, totally. I truly appreciate all the work you do for the magazine, and I, I appreciate every time you've been on the show. I've I picked up something new, and I just love listening to you and talk about the 49ers because you definitely got the passion for the 49ers, yeah. and uh, it's uh, incredible to listen to. It's great. It's great. I appreciate it. Thanks for Good. being on. Oh, okay, Bob and Joe, enjoy your day. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, you okay, too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Martin Jacobs, uh the legendary yeah. fan, historian, fan, collector, incredible, incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm literally speechless after this show. But that has been a trip down memory lane if there ever was one. We just heard the history of you, Macaulay. It's incredible. Yep. Joe, two-minute warning, and we are in two minutes. Hand off to you what you pick up yeah. on tonight's show. Yeah, just tough. It broke my heart. Um, I mentioned, you know, I'm a... I'm a fan. You and I are both fans. Uh, you know, Martin mm-hmm. is, is the epitome of a fanatic. I mean, that is where the word comes from. You know, he was rattling off the stuff that he had and how we got to know him and this. I mean, I'm a, you know, I met Steve Larger when I was a kid, but I didn't take it any further. It's just, I, I'm so impressed with him and just, he's become the 49er historian. He's always so classy. I absolutely love his uh, articles he writes you know, for GG for you. Yep. I just, it's, it's always a pleasure to speak to him. I just wish it was under better circumstances. Just go, you know, just yeah, my heart breaks. I on. know. You know, it's funny when he says he, he looks at a piece 10 minutes before he goes to bed at night or whatever, yeah. he goes through his collection. I always pull out thought, something to read, whether it's an old magazine, media guide, book, uh, card album or whatever. So I get what he's, I get what he said and what he does. Cause I do the yeah. same exact thing. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. This, this show tonight really, uh, really makes me feel good because, uh, we heard history, uh, to say the least. It's incredible. Truly yeah. incredible. Website, Gridiron Grapes Magazine. If you're not a subscriber, what are you waiting for? We got 10 waiting seconds. For. Joe, what's going on? 10 seconds left. Ah, uh, any great show. Thanks for, thanks for organizing on short notice, Captain. 
Yeah, it's a great show. It was. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm glad uh, Martin got to talk about his uh, his good friend. That's it for tonight. We'll be back hopefully next week with another show, and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Ba, 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 ba.